previously on Solve the World. Ma'am, it was the boy from the register. His colossal book must be boring. Would you come here, please? Jen's eyes dilated with fear. She'd been caught. Somehow the boy knew. He'd probably already called the cops and they'd marshal her off to jail. They wouldn't care that she'd just escaped the dollhouse internment camp for girls who kind of sort of maybe looked like certain estranged daughters. This was bad. And yet, he was a really cute boy. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. There are truths that I can't stomach. Episode 68, Meet Atticus Further. Mrs. Moose? Mrs. Moose? Mrs. Moose? My name is Gertrude Norman. My name is Miles Farr. May I come in? Not before you acknowledge me correctly. Like a true gentleman. Mrs. Hello, uh, Madame, Mrs. Norman, may I enter your house, home, home, may I enter your home? A gentleman should not ask for lodging. He should wait to be invited in. Moose, please, I don't deal with delicacies. Miles Farr raised his left hand in front of the old lady's eyes. His pinky finger was missing at the root, a bloody mess. The fingernail and tip of his ring finger was also a mangled miasma of flesh, raw bone, and blood. Oh, my, my, my. Come down, come down to the lower room. Why do we tell stories? For that matter, why do you listen? When things get bad, as they always do, why do you bother? Why do you let the pressure and stress of the moment seep into your conscious life? Why not leave the glass house? Leave this story? Go somewhere else? Why don't you just do that? The answer, at least in part, is because all of us secretly believe that there's truth in pain. Some people often perversely think there's more truth in pain than anything else in the world. 
That's why they find joy in it. So, let's define truth right now. No more lengthy explanations. Let's hear it out, know it, and move on. Truth, ultimately, is a feeling. It's a feeling that comes from deep within, that tells you, tells me, sometimes in a whisper, sometimes in a shout, this is enough. This is satisfactory. This fills us. Some seek this truth at the bottom of a bottle of pills, others at the bottom of a wine glass. Because as soon as truth whispers to us, tells us that its presence is here, it's gone. We tell stories to replay those instances of truth. We replay them as lovers replay their wedding ceremony videos. Maybe you're disgusted by the glass house, and what happened to Jennifer Dash there, but you haven't left yet. You're still here. So was Atticus. Let me present to you Atticus Further. Undeniably handsome, but the type of handsome that doesn't stand out in a crowd. His charm is as such that in one moment he could easily pass for a muscly 14-year-old football player and the next pull off that college grad look. You would like him immediately if you met him, and you should. Atticus Further is a wonderful human being, full of youthful exuberance, book smarts, well-seasoned glee, and a studiousness that could rival Nikola Tesla. We really do hope you like him. You're stuck with him now. You're stuck with him for quite a while. At the base of the glass house, Atticus exited to a mob of excitement. People were pushing past the guards, tearing out a view towards the glass doors with an odd concoction of mirth and anxiety sprouting through their limbs. Atticus kept his head down, kept walking. The demonic voice of his father in his head was gone now. In its place, a blueprint for the coming minutes. There were instructions to be followed. The elders demanded his presence in front of their council. He was, in their words, being reassigned, temporarily. Where that was, especially without Jen, was anyone's guess. They clearly saw to it to take Jennifer out. The chances of this all happening and being mere chance seemed minuscule. This was a hit job. An assassination. And they finally got their girl. Couldn't take her out by the plague, by nuclear blast, by virgin sacrifice, by machine gun, by in-air hijacking, by plane crash, by corrupt local cops, by just about any means. But finally... In these last days, Atticus thought, they killed her by her stubbornness. They killed her using her compassion as a lever. All this, and yet, he, Atticus, was breathing. 
whatever lever they pulled to rig Jen's glass coffin, they hadn't pulled the same one for him. They left him. Did they want something out of him? Atticus walked the dawn-lit streets of Christchurch, New Zealand. He walked as fast as possible, his head down, making eye contact with no one. His sympathetic nervous system was running wild now. Fight or flight, fight or flight. That response built a stern precipice up in Atticus's mind. He had two options. Right now, two distinct options. He could wallow in his own filth, fully devolve into the beast that his self-image saw him as, or he could valiantly fight back, do some good before it's all over. This inclination, similar to a soldier who suddenly realizes that defeat is imminent on the battlefield, filled Atticus with a surge of hope. Not hope for himself, not hope of redemption, but rather hope that he could prevail somehow as he himself became nothing. The mission was simple. It wasn't to fight the elders or somehow lead a rebellion against Free Church and all the powers that be behind smuggling. No. The day's events had caused Atticus to become precisely utilitarian in his thought processes. He was not going to be an idealist, not going to die for some symbolic gesture. No, he was going to save a life. Finally, after failing to save Scout, Betty, now Jen, he would do his best. Now, save just one. The object of Atticus Further's heroism was the inmate at Rose Hospital that he felt the most kinship with, Sid Kalfas. Atticus was busting the nightmared man out before he stood to face the glass house. Save just one life. Just one. Sid Kalfas. What's wrong with you? One of your fellow comrades hexed me. Hexed you? Who did this? Malavert? Abba Shamanabra? Windigo. A boy with a noggin like yours should leave well enough alone. No better than to march on through that beast's woods. Please. Can you undo it? I don't see how that would be fair. You cared for... for Jendash? You've played... A part in this game before. Jendash, you say? Hmm. Can't say I've heard of her. <sighs> Young girl, she said. <sighs> you saved her? She was poisoned? Uh, uh, a uh, bald, bald. Don't you raise your voice at me. I'll get my switch. <sighs> She's bald. Would have been when you met her. I know names. I know. No Jendash. Calling. Jennifer Calling. Calling. Jennifer Calling. Oh, yes. What a dear, bright young girl. Good future in store for her. She's going to go places. You helped her. You healed her. So I did. Help me. Mm, you and her are not exactly the same potatoes, Mr. Farr. Your reputation precedes you. I know who you play for. It's not about that. It's... Uh, the opposite of that, actually. That's why I went to Windigo. You know that's not his name. Moose! Mrs. Moose frowns at Miles, then promptly exits the room. Miles sat now in a sterile room, 
in a thin, stripped, cold steel chair. His muscles twitched incessantly and violently, craving. The logical part of his brain, what was left of it in this moment, wished Mrs. Moose had tied his hands down. She knew, that old hag. She knew exactly what he was up against. She left him here to make him suffer, didn't she? The hand, the bloody stump. Just do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Miles stuck his left finger into his mouth, rubbing the discombobulated flesh against the gums of his mouth, just above the teeth. This rubbing would suffice for now. For now, he didn't have to chew. For now, this was enough. Hey, uh, Holly, I need to borrow Sid for a sec. Atticus was not in uniform, no scrubs, as he barged into P.A. Holly Skagmore's morning yoga-style group exercise routine. Sid was second from the end of the arms reaching for the sky semicircle. Atticus, what are you doing here? Uh, I just got back from the glass house. And you came into work? Yeah, uh, Barry called me in. He did? Yep. Okay, well, you're gonna have to wait. Sid needs his calisthenics. Barry told me this is, uh, kind of important. I should take him right away. Uh, what is it? Came the inarticulate babble from one of the exercisers. He, uh, he, uh, needs to go through morning talk-through with me, Atticus said. Morning talk-through was the hospital's term for a morning interview of a patient after a night in which the patient had to be sedated or given an unanticipated drug. The process didn't last long and primarily served as a quick check to make sure the drugs didn't make the patients go completely buggy. This was something of a loose end from back in the days when patients and patients' relatives would often sue doctors for maltreatment. So the interview often worked as a safeguard against malpractice lawsuits. You can't perform a morning talk through alone. You have to have a doctor present. Yeah, uh, uh, Atticus faltered. Yeah, uh, Barry sent me in because he wants to show me the ropes. You know, like, walk me through how he does it. But Barry isn't here. I talked to him a half hour ago. With glass housing, his schedule's all messed up. Um, uh, yeah, he, he's calling in. Atticus, what's going on? Nothing, just... You know how Barry is, he can't leave the job alone. He's having me call him and we'll walk through the procedure together on the phone. Why not just have Dr. Holleran do it? He's just finishing up with Nemo. He's busy, I just talked to him. Turns out Nemo's, uh, in a bad way? You can have Sid at 8.45 when we're done here. And... Hands down, Holly says to the group. Various moans and exhales. Now, press your palms together like this. Holly, I need Sid now. Atticus, now's not the time to talk. Is this about the glass house? Is that why you're acting weird? No answer from the young man. He didn't know how to answer. Let's have a cup of coffee when I'm done here. You can tell me about it. No! Atticus stamped his feet, all eyes in the room on him. 
Excuse me, do not speak to me that way, especially in front of our guests. Sid needs to come with me. We're finished here. Figuring he'd lost the argument, Atticus resolved to solve the dilemma at hand, physically. He marched over to Sid, grabbed the man by the arm, and began pulling him out of the room. Hey, Atticus! Holly blared on the whistle that hung around her neck. Two security guards appeared, brandishing long clubs. It's Atticus, Holly said. Please remove him from the facility. Atticus couldn't protest. They grabbed him by either shoulder and succinctly pushed him out of the room. Can't figure what's gotten into him, Holly said, annoyed to the group. Mrs. Moose reappeared in the sterile room. She held horizontally in her hands a three-foot-long stick. It was skinny, but as the old lady shuffled over to Miles, she bent it backways and forwards, showing its internal strength. The tree branch snapped itself back into place with remarkable resolve. Put your hands behind your back. Miles removed his bloody stump fingers from his mouth and followed the old one's orders. A long, red spit trail drooped out of his mouth. Disgusting. The woman placed herself strategically in front of Miles so that when she swatted her switch over his stomach, the branch managed to cover most of his upper abdomen. Who do you think you are? Eating your own fingers like that? Is that what sensible men do? Silence. Answer me, young man. Ow! The polite thing to do is to answer an old lady when she asks a question of you. Yes, ma'am. That's what sensible men do? Eat themselves? That's what you think? No, I just meant... Yes, ma'am. Like... Like... Like I'm... Following your instructions. Ow! What was that for? Using the word like in an incorrect grammatical form. And overabundantly. Sumi, I'm dying here. (laughs) Kind of feels good, actually. Oh. Yeah. Don't stop. The old woman was not pleased. I will not help you, Miles Faw. Not with this repugnant attitude of yours. I'm trying to train you, and you're playing it for crude jokes. Windigo and Merlin are with me. And who are you with? I'm in this for myself. Why? The... The... The girl. Miss Calling? Yeah. Jennifer Dash. You want her? I want to save her and everybody else. How? For starters, I need to stop the Piper from winning. You flipped. No, I just need time. Piper's not giving it to me. You know the Shining Man will use this. Use you. I think... I think I have a plan that would make both sides irrelevant. Finally! This young man in front of me is talking sensibly. You have my undivided attention, Mr. Farr. Outside the building now. They didn't just kick Atticus out of one room. They busted him all the way out of the entire building. Time to go Spider-Man on all these crazies. 
Rose Hospital for the Mentally Handicapped was an older, brick-and-mortar type of building, five stories high. The hospital had pretty much been gutted a decade ago and completely remade on the inside. But the outside, the red brick part, well, that was just as old and dilapidated as ever. The plan now was simple. Climb up the building, sneak back in, steal Sid, sneak back out. Morning calisthenics took place in the main rec room on the third floor. That's where Sid was now. Like classical, old-school insane asylums, all the windows had bars on them, so simply climbing in through a window on the third floor was utterly impossible. But hope springs eternal. On the top floor, the fifth, some years back, a guest of the wards burned half the floor down. He'd done so in hope of getting the bars on his window to melt enough that he could bust through them. The plan, obviously, didn't work. The flames got out of hand and the whole building was evacuated. This was one of the many reasons that the building so badly needed the renovation it got ten years ago. But the thing of it was, the inmate did manage to break one of the bars. He was a larger fella, so he needed to break at least two to squeeze his less-than-tight torso through the opening. Atticus, on the other hand, supposed he was slender enough to squeeze through the one open rung. The hospital, you see, had never bothered to replace it for some reason. They had just left that particular cell unused. All that was left now was to actually climb this thing. Okay, kid, let's do this thing. First, you dehex me. How do you know I even have the power to do that? I know... You're a healer. Heal me. No, there is another. She is the great healer. I merely do it as a hobby. Do you really understand what I am? I've never understood your lot. Just... No. I just know... Just know... You do things that regular humans can't. And... And you don't die. Oh, I can be killed. We all can. You could have killed Windigo when you met him. No, I need him. I need Merlin. I need you. I need your friends. Everyone you can get. If I take the hex off, Windigo will think I'm usurping his authority. He doesn't have to know. Oh, but if we follow your plan, you'll see him again. Not necessarily. Hmm, teeter-totter, I'm just not sure if taking this away from you is the best solution. A young man has got to learn discipline, got to learn that you reap what you sow. I didn't reap cannibalism. Did Windigo lie to you? No. Did he put a hex on you without your permission? No, but I didn't know that this was what the curse would be. Did you ask him for clarification? Miles stared at the old woman indignantly. I'll take that as a no. Hmm, I can see by your hand you've certainly already gotten your comeuppance. Yes, dear God, I've gotten my comeuppance. Don't bring God into this. He had nothing to do with it. Lady! Miles shouted and jammed his bloody stumps back into his mouth, zealously sucking whatever marrow he could suck. Mrs. Moose watched this scene. A young man, full of intelligence, full of life, vitality. Even maybe an appetite for truth and beauty. Yet here he was, beaten by this simple little curse. He'd knock himself down to just a mouth and throat if she didn't do something about it. It was good of him, after all. Showed real courage that he took his infliction out only on himself. It's possible, of course, that he did the unthinkable to some stranger. But by the look of that mashed-up hand, 
he'd stayed clean. He used himself as a stopgap from turning into a full vamp. Okay, come now, let's not have all the fuss. Lay your hands down at your side. Mrs. Moose was about her work now. Climbing Rose Hospital proved to be more difficult than Atticus would have liked. Had he just waited until 8.45, Molly would have let him steal Sid away just fine. A clock tower a block down was ringing in the top of the hour now, 9 a.m. He'd been trying to climb this wall for a good 25 minutes. The trick was in starting. Once he got going, like now, he was usually okay. But those first two or three steps were the worst. Step by step, Atticus tried not to look down. He was acrophobic by nature. Heights were never his thing. And now, feeling like he was a rock climber... Hey! You there! Someone on a megaphone bleated up at Atticus. He turned to look. A cop! The disturbing realization of being spotted jolted Atticus. He lost his grip with his left hand, causing his right leg to shimmy and then come unlatched. He was falling before he knew what hit him. Mrs. Moose pressed one gloved hand against Miles's forehead. He led her. Anything to make this suffering stop. And... All done. She released her hand. What? Just like that? You barely did anything. Do you feel the suffering? The craving? No. Miles knew it at once. He didn't. Hey, how'd you do that? He said, astonished. How do you think? It's just, when he put the hex on me, it came with lots of whispers. Chance. I thought you'd have to answer it with more chance. Whispers. Oh, hocus pocus, it's all self-lovey-dovey cockamamie. No one needs the rituals. They just like to show off. That's all 90% of religion is anyway. Showing off. Miles smiled. She was all too right. He liked her. He understood now why Jen did too. The next day, Mrs. Moose's comic in the funny pages was peculiar. In the drawing, there was a wall on one side. On it, the letters O-N-M-O. Clawing at the walls were dozens of cat people, their slit eyes bulging, their fur on edge. All of them were trying desperately to get into Onmo, to get past its walls. On the other side of the drawing, far away from the walls of Onmo, Two lions and a lioness sit idly watching all the cat people. One lion says to another, Just wait until they let down the drawbridge. The comic was obscure, and the only readers that laughed at it were the ones that didn't want others to know they didn't get the joke. What you're experiencing is a pelvic fracture. It's not bad. You're young. Had you been my age, you would have absolutely shattered your hip. You see... Your youth has saved you. You'll need to stay in bed for a while, but recovery should be a quick process, though you'll have to walk on a cane for a while. And I should warrant this plea to you. Do not try to stand today, tomorrow, or for the next several days. Stay in bed. That's an order. Everything is quite delicate right now. Too much stress, and pop! You might re-injure yourself, or more likely have to use a cane indeterminably. Perhaps forever. 
Atticus was in bed, a hospital bed, but he was not in a hospital. He was at the center of the elders' council, the very center of the room. His hospital bed had been rolled up here. The world was foggy. If he concentrated on it, Atticus would be able to make out a vague memory, more of a silhouette than anything else, of his elevator ride up to the council, his writhing on the ground after he fell, an ambulance. Atticus could have remembered that stuff if he tried, but he didn't. He was in the here and now. Are you sending me away? Why, yes, of course, that's why we came to get you. Twelve pairs of eyes beaded down on Atticus. He felt beyond vulnerable. Why did you kill Jennifer? Too many people wanted to get at her. As soon as we had her, we knew we had a ticking time bomb on our hands. But, but she was good. You shouldn't kill good people. We all make sacrifices for the greater good. Atticus accepted their words. He was barely here due to the morphine. And they were the bosses. In this life, all you can ever do is accept what the boss tells you. Resistance, quite frankly, is futile. Where am I going? That's the good news. Due to the nature of your journey, staying in bed is not only a good idea, it's pretty much mandatory. The main elder said this with a laugh. Another voice picked up the story. We're taking you on a submarine, Mr. Further. A submarine? Yes, uh, after much examination, we thought it best you go that way. Where? Where am I going? Yes, well, after some deliberation on the matter, I believe it's all set. One of the other elders finished, saying, You're going to the Red Zone, Atticus. Los Angeles. Red, red Zone? Red Zone. But... But the radiation. We have radiation vests for you and your crew. My crew? Just a couple smugglies to fill out your security task force. Why? Your captain will fill you in on the details, but Mr. Further, we know you're scared. You've been dealt a blow. We know that. You and Mrs. Dash had a special relationship. But if you do this one thing for us, we'll be in your debt. All twelve smiled at the boy. Atticus, once upon a time the apple of Jennifer Dash's eye, the cherry on top a hard-won vanilla ice cream sundae, the quintessential prize at the end of a marathon, closed his eyes. He wanted to shrug off this responsibility. Tiredness, however, broke him down. He accepted the boss's orders. What else was there to do? Why do we tell stories? Why do you listen? When things get bad, as they always do, what motivates us to keep pushing? William Shakespeare put the question of mortality into Hamlet's mouth. To be or not to be. That's his question. This one's different. Being is easy. It's passive. To be. That's, that's nothing. But to do? To do is everything. Why do we tell stories? And why do you listen? Maybe... The answer is hope. Hope that things get better. Hope that this story, that story, whatever story, makes our own life a little more bearable. 
a little more understandable, a little less oblique. If Atticus Further wants to solve the world, he'll have to deal with the tremendous pressure of life's greatest stress. It's abstraction. Life is abstract. And yet, the pain, the pain we feel, the pain we endure, is never abstract. No. Pain is always palpable. Pain is always here. Right here. With you. With me. Why else would we tell stories? So maybe, maybe, maybe you're getting to this point, the end of episode 68, and you're thinking to yourself, is this really it? Is Solve the World really going to be for the next 32 episodes just a boys club with Atticus and Marshall and Miles and Merkel and the Pied Piper? Is Jen really gone? Maybe that's what you're thinking right now. Well, if you happen to be a Solve the World Society member, you don't have to be asking that question. Because you can go right now and listen to episode 69. Maybe you'll still have that question at the end of episode 69, but at least you'll be a step ahead, right? We've talked about the Solve the World Society before in these post-episode chit-chats, but let me try to lay it down nice and simply for you. My motivation is to grow the Solve the World fan base. Anytime any one of you does something that interacts with the show, such as writing a blog about it, reviewing an episode, sharing a post on Facebook, or doing any sort of fan art. Anytime you share those things, you're growing Solve the World's internet footprint. And that helps me, without me having to spend any sort of marketing money or anything like that, it helps me reach new people. It helps the show grow, reach new audiences. So that's why I want to do everything I can on my shoestring slash no budget position to push you guys to invest in Solve the World by devoting your time to thinking about it more and putting your thoughts out there. So the society's just that. Anyone who writes a blog, does art, showcases their love for Solve the World some way and shares that with people gets a free entrance to a page on my website, DanteStack.com. So you go to DanteStack.com, there's a tab that says Solve the World Society. You click on that, and for all regular people, it immediately asks you for a password. If you're a society member, I give you that password, and you walk through those open doors then. That gate opens to you, and you have several specials of Solve the World, a couple behind-the-scenes features, and every week I'm posting next week's episode this week. Does that make sense? Society members get to stream next week's episode now. So, what's holding you back? Come on. It helps me out, it'll be fun for you, and then you get a perk out of it. Join the Solve the World Society by doing one of those things. Fan art, blog, review... And then sending me an email, dantestack at gmail.com, D-A-N-T-E-S-T-A-C-K at gmail.com. That's my email. If you send me something, I will respond. Also, lest I forget, all the music and sound effects used on today's episode and every other episode of Solve the World 
are correctly attributed and can be viewed on my website at DanteStack.com on our show notes page. All right, guys. See you next week. Music.